0: Hi, I'm Ian Schirling.
1: And I'm Joanna Chow.
0: And you're listening to Design Chatter. Well, Joanna, we did it. We released Sasaki's inaugural podcast. <laughs> this midi season has been a lot of fun and it's been chock full of creative tidbits. Um, some of the things that come to mind are when our first guest, Henry Gordon Smith, uh, talked about his urban agriculture creative process, energy first, analysis later and how we could maybe apply that to our own process.
1: Yeah, and how about in episode two with Kate Took? She brought to light that play is the work of the child and that a child's creative energy is something we need to do a better job of nurturing in the built environment. I just found her so incredibly thoughtful and poignant.
0: Yeah, we we had some special conversations with some really inspiring people about what makes them tick and what their creative process looks like. And on today's episode, you're in for another treat. So this week we're on the road, diving into the topic of art and culture. Uh, And so to tee it up, here's a question for you, Joanna, and I promise it's not a joke. So where can you find a core of college students rehearsing a cappella next to octogenarians performing opera alongside a beatboxer from Brooklyn, all brought together by a slam poet turned community leader?
1: Okay, I think I know the answer to this one. And while it does actually sound like the start of a joke, um, it actually all happened one night fairly recently at the opening of the new Pow Art Center in May. Now, the Pow is a brand new art center, the first of its kind, located in the heart of Chinatown in Boston. And it's really thanks to the hard work of a very large community, as well as one organization in particular, the Boston Chinatown Neighborhood Center, also known as BCNC, that this really came into being. And that slam poet turned executive director is Giles Lee. He is a real force to be reckoned with. And I was absolutely delighted to have the opportunity to sit down with him. He's um, certainly one of the more inspiring people I've come across.
0: Yeah, Giles is known in a few circles as um, this mesmerizing slam poet. And that timbre definitely comes across in the interview. Um, But I think what I really love about Giles is how he's a connector at heart. Um, He makes arts accessible to all people, young and old, Um, people with different views um, about the role of arts in society and in our own lives. Um, I think he reminds us that we're all in this together and that we should stop and appreciate that artistic identity that we have and that others have too. So with that, here's our on-the-road edition of Design Chatter where Joanna and fellow Sasaki and Penny Snyder talk with Giles Lee about creating community and locating oneself in a larger cultural context.
1: Giles, um, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about what this space, the Pow Art Center, is meant to be, and what your hopes are for in its in its near future?
2: Yeah, so you know, here at the Pow Art Center, um, we are going to be doing a range of kind of different things that engage the community in arts and art making art education creativity and kind of just self-reflection um so you know we have a bunch of different kind of like flexible spaces a couple of classrooms we have a, a a studio theater which i don't know if you had a chance to see um about 100 seats and you know can be configured into different different ways ted talk or film screening or performance um you know you name it and then we also have um our reception area and kind of this 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 circulation space out here is available for kind of um, a, uh, art exhibition and we're going to be rotating kind of community-based artists through that space um, and giving them kind of like the treatment that they deserve as masters of their craft and as practiced artists who don't often get a chance to maybe do that in um, in the Boston art world. Um, and um, we also have a, you know, office space. One of those spaces is going to be occupied by an artist-in-residence um, who will be... Um, working with members of the chinatown community to create new work um in response to issues of concern in the chinatown community Um, and then you know kind of in addition to all of those things this is going to be a resource for independent artists in who are affiliated with the chinatown community as well as like um like small smallish arts organizations or arts cultural organizations some are like all volunteer run or maybe one staff Um, sometimes they could just use a space that where they can be together where they can support each other where they could collaborate Um, and so we will provide some support to make that possible and make a little bit of a co-working space for people um, who are in in that sector in the cultural sector who are also affiliated with Chinatown Um, and then the other big piece is that Bunker Hill Community College is our partner um, and they are offering classes in this space and some of the classes that they're offering are arts specific classes some of the classes that they are offering are kind of Chinatown classes. Like there's a class that they have called the Immigrant Experience in Literature,
0: mm-hmm. uh, and then
2: some of the classes that they're offering are Gen Ed classes. Um, and I think they just want to make sure that they're going to fill this space with a range of different students who have a range of different interests. Um, and so um, we we are we along with Bunker Hill and the other partners in this project are really looking to populate it with. A range of different people, diverse in all ways, um, just ready to come in here, open their minds and hearts, and kind of be a part of a community together. I don't know if how much attention you pay to like what's going on in Chinatown, but definitely it looks just physically looks different than it has 10, 20 years ago. There's a lot of high rises now. There's a lot more like luxury or market rate units. Um, and the kind of traditional Chinatown population, the kind of low income immigrant population, can't afford to live here as much as you know they could before. And so you still have that immigrant population, and you now have this population of folks with more resources, people who have maybe white collar, I guess, jobs. Um, and then you have people who don't live here at all, but this neighborhood is still important to them, and they, they still come back here for activities or to connect with people. Um, and we really think that all of those people are part of the Chinatown community, even if they don't act like a community necessarily, right? So all those people, they share space, but they may not really interact all that much, and we'd like to create a space where people actually can interact, be a, be neighbors with their neighbors, so to speak. Um,
3: yeah, I think that's a really amazing vision, and I think it's also, as someone who doesn't know a lot about Chinatown, really amazing compelling to hear about how you think about everyone being able to come together through art instead of serving one small sector of a population and how art is something that can bring people together Mm. in this new and kind of changing and evolving place Um, and i love what you said earlier about having to advocate for art as something that immigration or immigrants and low income populations need access to in the sense of cultivating a whole person and a whole community. Um, How were you able to kind of advocate for that in a meaningful way when there are so many other services and um, things that people need? How did you end up doing that?
2: I'll admit, like, not everybody is that open to that idea, you know? Um, But if you get in a room full of people that 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 have access to resources, you know, or that 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 are comfortably middle class, like I am, they send their kids to arts programs. You know, they go to the museum, they go to the theater, or the ballet, and um, they don't really need a reason. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times I'm expected to give a reason why Chinatown families should have access to those things. And you know what? I I being kind of you know doing my due diligence and everything i can give reasons you know i can talk about why arts helps in school and helps in learning how to cooperate with people and understanding the value of practice like these are all things people have studied for a long time people have always said like arts you know it helps with all these other things and it's it's all true but it's really not what resonates with me and so it's really not the story that i tell um so even though I know like some of these data and like some of this the results of these studies over the years, the truth is that um, inherently we all know just as like as human beings that 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 a, a, a well-lived life includes access to things that kind of put you outside your comfort zone and and ask you to challenge yourself and uh, that that is not supposed to that is not supposed to be something that we save only for elites, you know, um, and and uh, something about our climate has made it acceptable to think of it that way, and it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, I love that. Art for art's sake and for people's sake. And it seems like the question is then, why not? Right? Not mm-hmm. why. Why do we need to make a case for people yeah. to get exposure to new things, but... I would imagine that there are plenty of other folks like us who believe that arts are an inherent, um, you could call it an inherent, right. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I grew up with the arts. I grew up dancing, practicing piano, <laughs> like a good Chinese daughter. Um, but you know, all those years of creative, uh, creative practice, I think, Teach you, teaches you so much about not just, you know, the bounds of your own creativity, but also self-discipline, mm. um, how to be with yourself, how to take that time to reflect um, and what it's really like to achieve, you know, that, that sense of flow. Um, and I think to, to get that at an early age is a really special thing and it shouldn't be off limits. Yeah.
3: And across ages too, it's true. you know, as you get older there are kind of different experiences that you can have through art that can help you reckon with aging or maturing.
2: Well, one of the things that we've been talking about, like the, this has kept coming up in our conversations with Bunker Hill because they're so they're so deeply involved in making this space possible, is, you know, Chinatown has a lot of elderly, um, immigrant population. And we want this to be a place where they feel welcome, especially like, if it's hot out or it's, or it's cold mm-hmm. out this is a, you know, this, we manage the temperature in here and that they can kind of feel comfortable just to relax and spend time here. Uh, and there's going to be college students in here. And these two populations may not really interact ev- ever, anywhere. And so we would we really are envisioning a space where they actually would be sitting side by side and just kind of taking, in, taking each other in and maybe learning from each other a little bit and just kind of making, um, you know, this being boston you know this is we're all part of the same city we're all part of the same community and like really making it a, a um intentional that, that different kinds of people can spend time together and actually share a space so um yeah i mean the arts is across the like the entire age spectrum i think mm-hmm. is something that we want to be able we want to be able to provide that.
1: wonderful things about BCNC as I've seen the organization um, move forward over the years is that it seems that BCNC finds ways to create um, really special opportunities, really special services that are actually replicable across different kinds of cultures and different geographies. Um, Have you given any thought to You know, how you can package up some of your learnings about how you did this in this very particular environment uh, for other community organizations? Or are you still focusing on, you know, the immediate next step, which is opening the center to the public?
2: Right. Yeah. Right now I'm focused on opening the center. But I mean, I think there is something unique to. Know, unique might be too strong a word but i think something really i'm i'm proud of and i think is cool is like a big part of what we're trying to do here is use the space and use the the project to have a positive impact on like community well-being and health including mental health um and you know i could i don't know there's a bunch of again like there's a, bu- a bunch of data out there that kind of makes a case like why um immigrant populations especially low-income immigrant populations like having opportunities to like engage with their history and their heritage and their language and all of that like why that's good for their health um i guess when i say it it kind of is obvious but um yeah that's just a general kind of um there's data out there that supports that and um and so we, we just we just want to be a part of making, making that possible, making it more and more possible for people to be able to feel like they're a part of something, feel like when they're, uh, when they're in this space like that, it is something that they feel at home in.
1: Penny and I actually just had a really interesting conversation yesterday with one of our designers who was saying that, you know, like many areas, the arts are facing uh, funding constraints. This is not a new story. It's mm. a very old story. Um, but she was saying that in order for arts spaces to get the funding they need, a lot of times they're seeing that you have to bundle the arts into STEM programs. And so in securing funding for this major project in Boston, where you know we're also feeling the squeeze for funding, um, did you have to get creative in some ways to make this happen?
2: I mean, we... I guess what I was talking about about the arts and the health that relationship is is pretty creative, I think. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't. I think that I agree. Like, it's people don't want to just see art spaces built um, that don't you know that don't touch other things. But for me, it's kind of um, in a way that's kind of easy or, or it's better. Like, arts always touches other things. You just have to be able to be clear about about what those things are like and and have some intention about it but there's you know there's there's no time when when you you could create an art space in a community where people actually live and not have it you know mean something uh so yeah no i i think you're totally right it's not uh it's not easy to be arts forward and and not like identify some other you know partnering themes but um in a way i think that makes our work better if we really are intentional about how else we are trying to leverage whatever we're doing in the arts to benefit people in communities in other ways i think that's always great but you know then again also like the, what you're saying is saying about uh, incorporating arts into stem right stem becomes steam
1: mm-hmm.
2: right that that's not a force to me like that. That fits like hand in glove to me, you know, because honestly, technology and engineering and all these things that are happening in science, like those require like thinking way outside the box. All the things, all of the all the changes that we've experienced over the past, even just like five years have required like really creative thinking, really, um, really like new approaches. Um, And I don't think you get any of those things without um, people who also have backgrounds in like exploring things through arts, so, um, I know you can present them as being really different or you can present them as being really similar and, you know, I I can see it both ways.
3: that you have a creative background yourself um, in slam poetry but did you find throughout this process that that kind of thinking that ability to step back to see the larger picture to understand stories and history and to make something of that how did that kind of affect the way that you approached creating this entire center
2: um it's funny that you ask it that way because that's how i have like that's exactly the way I think of, think of it. Like my history, or like my my career that I had as a writer and as a poet and as a performer of my my work. Um, I think like that prepared me to be the executive director of this organization. And again, like those things don't seem that connected, but it's just when I wrote, and I think specifically because I wrote poetry that I was going to be performing you know, those words were going to be coming out of my mouth. Um, I wanted to make sure that I could work with an audience with made up of people who were all coming from different places and try to get them by the end of what I was doing to the same place. And so that means I needed to have different ways to get people in, like right? get people on the bus, like at different points, with different with different things, with different ideas. And so I, um, you know, as I, you know, over the, over time, as I became better at, at doing that I was more conscious of how to how to make that work and more conscious of like the dynamic of being a performer on a stage in front of people and I think that that helped kind of nurture this ability in me to be able to see connections and try to understand disparate motivations and how they can come together and be one thing Um, and so um, that's I think that's helped me just like in my work in this sector in the nonprofit sector. And it also has especially helped me in this work of getting this center open because a lot of people want to see it succeed, but they all have different, slightly different reasons why they want to see it succeed. But the important thing is that we can all push in the same direction. So it's funny that you ask it that way because that's that's how I've like formulated it in my head over the past several years. One of the things that I did was like, uh, I wrote every day and I had to, I had to force myself to do that. When I was just starting out, I only wrote when I felt like doing it, and then everything I wrote ba- basically sounded the same because I only wrote when I felt a certain way. So I knew in order to be better, I had to force myself to write when I didn't feel like doing it or when I felt like, you know, something else. And that 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 exercised different parts of my brain. And so I think that that has funny as it is, like I think that that has made it has has gotten me to the point where now what, you know, however many years later where I am comfortable doing work that I don't want to do (laughs) uh, just to make just to make sure that we are moving the right direction uh so and I also know that if I do the work I don't want to do I'm going to be able to do the work that I want to do at, at a different point so I know it's all part of one process so I think that that actually um is like a tangible skill that I picked up that I developed in myself that um it comes in handy um and then like there's other like tangible skills too. I think like comfort, inf- comfort like just speaking in front of a crowd. Um, you know, I, I don't get nervous, um, so th- that's that's a nice thing. Maybe I should be nervous, uh, mm-hmm. you know, more. Uh, maybe I should be over prepared sometimes. But uh, but that that's like a, a comfortable thing for me. And then um, you know, like I was saying before, like I think just the um, tendency to look at things from many different angles um, and try to understand it from many different perspectives um, is is out from.
3: You said sometimes you have to do the work you don't want to do to do the work that you want to do. So what's the work that you want to do?
2: Oh, wow, that's a good question. You know, I I think, um, I hope that I can say this the right way. Um, there's There's a lot of different interests in Chinatown, in this community. I feel like a a lot of people who think that they're on opposite sides are not. And I think that there is a lot of stuff that can't be controlled about the future. So I hope that all of us who care about what's happening here and think it's important that Chinatown remain a strong and vibrant kind of neighborhood, I hope that we all can come to a common understanding about what that vision should look like and what is within our control, and then control it. You know, um, there's a lot that we can do to continue to make sure that Chinatown thrives and lives on for future generations. Like, you know, I want my kids to have a Chinatown that they can visit and and engage in and work in and volunteer in and, and participate in. Um, and it's gonna be different than the Chinatown of today and it, which is different than the Chinatown that we had when I was a kid which was different from the Chinatown before it but there's there's something about Chinatown that can't change a lot of things can change but certain things can't and I I would like to move us closer or do my part to help us move closer to a time when we all identify the same things that should not change and that we can Invest our passion and our energy in protecting those things, and I don't think those are for me to define necessarily. I've got, you know, I I feel like there's certain things that I you know that that speak to me. But we can get people together to really think of uh, think of ourselves as one community that has, a, you know, a, a set of shared interests. I hope to be a part of making that happen. And I hope that this. The opening of this space is one of the steps in helping us get there.
3: Thank you for that.
1: Giles, I know that you grew up locally in the area and I've heard you speak once or twice before um, about your experiences here as a young kid in Boston and how important Chinatown was to you in in your own upbringing. I guess as you stand here um, about to open this new art center for a new generation of students and families and community members, um, can you reflect a little bit on your past and, and how you came to uh, your own creative pursuits, your more professional development, and how you hope um, this center can play into the trajectory of another person's growth and life path?
2: Um, so even though I didn't grow up in Chinatown, I grew up in Brookline, which is a great place to grow up in a lot of ways, super safe, Um, you know, really good schools and really accessible to Boston. Um, And so I didn't grow up in Chinatown per se, but the thing that Brookline, I guess, didn't have was access to a community like this. Um, And you had to come to Chinatown for that. You know, my... My mom's social circles were Chinatown focused. My and my grandparents also. My father had social circles that were Chinatown. These were all different circles, you know. And so when I was old enough to develop my own circles, they just naturally just they came from Chinatown. Like that was that was a part of it. And I think some of that was um, like as a teenager. Separating, like demonstrating my independence from my parents and like separating from them and showing that I was my own person, but also staying connected to them by doing it through Chinatown, you know? Um, And, you know, I think about like, one thing that really drove it home for me is when I was, I probably was in high school, my mom, someone in Chinatown was like, did you used to live, you know, in Hong Kong? And did you work at this place, you know, like 40 years ago? and it was like somebody she had worked with when they were like in their 20s and um they both lived in brookline but they never crossed paths in brookline they crossed paths here you know and this is because this is kind of the center of that of that community um and and you know that's that could only happen in chinatown right two people from hong kong crossing paths 40 years later um so when i was like when i my first job was here and really my first first time i got beat up and you know all the all the all the life milestones they were all here um and so it's it 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 always just to have it in my life i think was always really important to me um just because for all the good things that brookline was i didn't necessarily felt feel like i belonged in that belonged there um i don't know if i belonged here either but it it, it made me it at least give me an, another option um so you know um i think that protecting kind of the cultural vitality of chinatown like making it make conti- making sure that it continues to be a place um is important for kids like that um now even less people people can't afford to live in chinatown anymore like like they did before um and so you know, Chinatown has the lowest uh, median income in in the city, but it has the highest rent in the city. And those two things don't fit each other. Um, and so more and more people will be like me. Families will be living outside of Chinatown um, because of what those places give them access to. Um, but in a way, they're still going to need to have this place still be a real place. Um, and I that's part of the reason why I think it's important that we invest in making this space a real space
0: Man, what a conversation. I keep thinking, what makes Giles so inspiring? And I don't know, I kind of wonder if it's the fact that he's someone who exercises his creativity in a really deliberate and unapologetic way. I mean, he's opening up so many opportunities for so many other people to exercise their own creativity and to do it um, amongst other people.
1: I totally agree. I think Giles is someone who fits right in with the rest of the guests we've had on this season. It's been a really exciting time to sit down with these people who are so active in trying to make a difference in the places where they have creative influence. You know, this whole season has been about trying to shed light on areas of our life, areas of our society, of our creative practices that are perhaps underappreciated or um, not valued in terms of funding or interest quite enough. And in fact, we find them to be incredibly valuable to what it is um, to take part in a human experience.
0: Yeah, so with that, we're gonna wrap up this first mini season of Design Shatter. We'd like to thank our guests, Henry Gordon Smith, Kate Took, and Giles Lee for being just awesome. Special thanks to our incredibly creative podcast team, my co hosts Joanna Chow, Penny Snyder, Zach Loudon, Matthew Arielli, Shannon Hassan-Fratz, Tori Fisher, and our spiritual advisor, Gina Ford. Thanks to Sasaki for your support and energy in making this podcast happen and for, uh, for giving us wings. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Do us a favor and leave us some feedback on the podcast episode page on iTunes or um, some comments on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear your thoughts on season one and maybe your ideas for future guests, or topics, or episodes. So what's next for us? Well, um, the summer, you can find us at the beach. Um, we're going to take the summer off, and we hope to be back after that with season two of Design Chatter, digging deeper into creative minds and topics, and making connections between us all. So in the meantime, you can connect with us on Twitter, at Sasaki Design, and on Facebook, so on behalf of the entire podcast team, I'm Ian Shirling. We'll see you next time on Design Chatter.